Hey there. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cothern. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. Question number four in the current series, Seven Big Questions. These are real questions being asked by real people, and they're being asked right now today. This is a difficult question, and it's a valid question. If there really is a God, why would He claim to be sovereign and yet allow so much pain and suffering in the world? It's a tough question, and it's a tough question to answer on one hand because We pastors are tempted to throw out the biblical exegetical answer, the correct answer, the Sunday school answer, which, if it's being asked by somebody who's in the midst of suffering at that moment, can seem to be pretty callous. And I don't ever want to come across that way. So if somebody is listening to this today, I want you to know I feel your pain if you're suffering. And I would hope that you would know by the end of this message that there's a God who feels your pain too. And He wants to embrace you in the midst of your pain and to help get you through that dark hour and out into the sunlight on the other end. So Whatever I share today, it's born out of an ache to share the pain that people are experiencing when they're suffering, but to walk alongside them until we get out through to the other side together. And I hope that all of us will be given that kind of strength to do that with those that we see in our lives who need somebody to come alongside them that way. Here are the three things we're going to look at. Knowing the world's original purpose gives us perspective. I don't think anything else on this planet can give us that kind of perspective. But the Christian worldview gives us this sense of purpose that comes from knowing the origin and the purpose of the world itself. Secondly, and I'm only going to touch on this really briefly because I've preached on it numerous times before, the why of cause can paralyze us. I'll explain that when we get there. And then the why of purpose can free us. Knowing the world's original purpose can give us perspective. Sometimes we think that we know a thing and what its purpose was. We think that we know how baseball is supposed to be played. Baseball is supposed to be played with a diamond, right? I mean, that's baseball. Did you know, however, that it was originally designed to be played in a square? And I saw this on television just this last week because somebody had found a dusty old moldy book in an attic and they opened it up and there were diagrams similar to this one with dimensions and rules for playing very early rudimentary styles of baseball and the batter would be lined up where the pitcher was, similar to what it is now in a diamond, but the diamond was turned differently so that it's actually a square. You wouldn't run at a diagonal to go to first base. You would run straight over to first base. And then you'd have to run to second and to third. And instead of coming all the way back to the same place where you batted from, when you got to home plate, that was when you scored. Really bizarre. And some people would see that and say, no, it can't be. But I'm telling you, I saw the book. There's evidence for that. Sometimes people think they know what purpose the world is supposed to serve. And they think they know how it might have even been created. Or if they're not a creationist, they think they might know how the the world and the galaxies and the universe came to be because of the Big Bang, etc., etc. However, 
we have evidence to show us that the world was created very differently than some people think it might have been. And that evidence is through an inspired word of God that we call the Bible. If you want to look for the unabridged version, look at the grand stories of the Bible. The podcasts are located to, uh, on our website. And the first two episodes of the grand stories of the Bible talk all about creation and the purpose of creation. What we do know from that in Genesis 1 and 2 is that the world was created perfectly. Absolutely unbroken. It was ideal for the inhabitants that were there. And we know from God's word that Adam and Eve had, Eve had everything they needed right there at their fingertips. It was a perfect world. It really wasn't until sin entered the world that it became broken. And that's why we have some pain and suffering that we experience in the world today. If you start with a wrong premise, you come up with a wrong conclusion. I think that's vital. And if we're going to look at how the world is operating and why people think that God might allow pain and suffering, we need to find out, first of all, that we get right back to the beginning to say, no, but he didn't create us for pain and suffering. He created us so that we wouldn't have to have pain and suffering. It was only because of free will and sin that we have pain and suffering. But wrong premise, wrong conclusion. Let me share a true story. I read this one in Leadership Magazine from Marshall Shelley, who's the author. He was Leadership Journal editor for years. He said that he was parked outside a store waiting for his wife to come back with an item, and he noticed that right close to where he was parked, right off the curb, was a barber shop. And because he pulled up in the middle of what was going on, he didn't have the full context of everything that was happening, so he was trying to piece it together. He said a woman had just placed her toddler in the car seat in the back seat of the car directly in front of him that was also parked on the curb. There was a young man behind the driver's seat, the wife got in the front seat and started gesticulating. She was gesturing to him and said some things, but he could tell that she was crying. And he thought, oh no, what's she crying about? Is there a conflict going on? Is there a problem? And then he saw that he kind of shrugged his shoulders a little bit and he gestured a little bit and he couldn't see his face because he's looking at the back of his head, but he's just trying to read between the lines and find out what's going on here. And maybe they're getting into an argument. This could be bad. And he started imagining some of the worst possible scenarios that could be going on. And then he saw the guy sort of shrug his shoulders and, and go like that. And then he opened his door and started to get out. And he thought, oh, my goodness. What if this guy is going to run around to the other side of the car? What if he's getting ready to strike this woman? I, I'm going to have to do something. And he thought, I'm not very big. I don't know if I could do much. And I don't have a cell phone. And, oh, man, what am I going to do? So he was starting to almost work himself up into a panic looking at the situation. And before he could actually find enough time to figure out what his next move was going to be, the guy walked past the car in front of it and into the barbershop. And that seemed very out of context, and he wasn't sure what was going on. He saw him approach the barber because he was looking through the plate glass window. The man said some things, he assumed, because he was using his arms. And then the barber kind of nodded his head like, yes, I understand. The barber reached down onto the floor and picked up a lock of hair and put it into a baggie and handed it back to the guy. And the guy walked out walked over to the window, handed it through the window to the woman who was sobbing. And then he reached in and gave her a real warm hug for a long time. <laughs> wrong premise, wrong conclusion. We thought we might know what was about to take place there. 
what we found out was that this young husband and father was doing something really compassionate, really loving. First haircut. Moms, you know what that's like. Those cute little curly locks, and to see them go away like that, she just wanted to hold on to that. Wrong premise, wrong conclusion. Here's some wrong conclusions that people come up with, and they come up with these conclusions all the time because they don't start with the premise that God created the world sinless and perfect. Wrong conclusion. There is no God. We're here by cosmic accident. So we can expect things to go wrong. That's just the way it is. That's the way of the world. That's a wrong conclusion because they're not starting with the right premise. Another wrong conclusion. Okay, there is a God, but he doesn't care about the suffering. In fact, he created suffering. He created everything, so he must have created suffering too, right? That's a wrong conclusion. Why is it wrong? Because we understand that God loved us enough to give us free will. It's not loving to force somebody to love you back. There has to be free will. If he didn't give us free will, he wouldn't have been loving. And so everything emanates out of God's love for us. That's the right premise. It starts and ends with God's love. Everything about God's story is about his love for us. Everything. So there is a God, but he didn't create us for suffering. We created our own suffering because since the beginning of time and since the very first human being, sin has been a part of the equation because every human being has sinned. And that's why the world is broken. So something broke the world, and that something is sin. Sin is simply rebellion against God and all of the wonderful boundaries that he created for us for our benefit. C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, and there are a couple of people who have written some good songs around that as well. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We sense that. Some of us, as we get a little bit older, and we walk through some painful struggles in this world, start looking forward to some of the things we sang about just a little while ago. One of these days, that trump is going to sound, and the Lord shall descend, even so, Lord Jesus, come, it is well with my soul. Yeah. Why is a normal response to suffering? That's why we have the book of Job in the Bible. Lots of questions. It's normal for us to ask why. So don't feel badly if you find yourself in a difficult trial, in a painful situation, and you find yourself asking why. It's normal. Uh, this one just popped into my head, so I'm throwing it in here. It's not in my notes. Uh, I'm looking at Dennis, and I'm seeing what a joyful countenance he has, even though he had an, a leg amputated. He's going to be on two feet pretty soon because he has another prosthetic appointment coming up uh, just a week or so. And they're going to start fitting him for that. But I remember a pastor who had watched his daughter. There are two people who brought this to mind because, Lauren, this pastor's daughter played softball, just like you. And she was such a good athlete, but she developed some cancer in one of her legs, and they actually had to amputate the lower half of her leg, similar to what Dennis has been experiencing. And the pastor was so overcome by that that he said, I didn't know where to be, but I wanted to go be around somewhere where I could just rail against God because I was mad. I was so angry. I thought, God, we prayed about this. How come you didn't answer our prayer? And if you're such a good God, blah, blah, blah. So he went down to the basement of the hospital as his daughter was in surgery, and he was in the morgue. He walked into the morgue of the hospital so he could have a talk with God. 
But he had these friends who knew about grief because they'd been through some stuff in their own lives. And they went down there and they said, so tell us what you're feeling. And he says, well, I'm angry. And he just let her rip. And he went on like that for 15 minutes. And instead of saying, pastor, you know that that's sinful for you to think that way. They didn't say that. One of the guys said, got any more? And he said, well, yeah. And he kept doing it for another 10 minutes. He got it out of his system. And then he finally just broke down and sobbed. And they just broke down and sobbed with him. Because they understood that what he needed right there was not a sermon. They needed God's love with skin on to wrap around him and just cry with him because they knew that he wasn't ready for a sermon yet. Why is a normal initial response to suffering? Incidentally, that daughter was so courageous and she had such a great worldview that she came out and she goes, Dad, what are you worried about? This isn't going to stop me. And she became a great athlete with the one leg she had left. And she taught him a thing or two about faith and courage. The why of cause can paralyze you. I'm only going to touch on this for just a brief minute. You know what it's like when you get sucked into that black hole of emotion when you start trying to blame people? The why question of cause to say, why is this happening to me is really kind of code for who do I blame for this? We might not say it, but there's some subtext under why is this happening to me? And that is, who do I blame? Because we want to do that. Sometimes if we've been betrayed, we know who to blame. It's that person who betrayed us. But sometimes if there's a natural disaster, we don't know who to blame except maybe God. And so we find ourselves just going swirling around and around thinking about who do I blame? Why, am, why is this happening to me? I've been sitting across the table from people who've had the death of a loved one and they kept asking the why questions. Am I being punished for something? Is this my fault? Was it the fault of the person? You know, they just keep getting into this black hole. And so the why of cause will ruin our perspective because we just get sucked into that black hole. David, King David, has a blunt, honest word for us in Psalm 73. You should read the whole psalm sometime. Man, he gets honest. Psalm 73. This is from the New Living Translation. Feel David's heart, who had been through some horrific pain and a terrible trial, and he says this. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, which is what happens if we get into that downward spiral of asking why, the why of cause. My heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, speaking to God. And yet I still belong to you. That's when he starts to turn the corner. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Wow, what a shift from being a senseless animal and bitter and angry to knowing that God is still holding his hand and guiding him into a wonderful destiny. That's what happens if we start to ask the right question, which is the why of purpose. God, what purpose do you have for me? That's what starts to bring us hope. God, are you going to build some character into me that I need to have built? Are you going to turn my life into something that's going to be a benefit to other people? Or are you just helping me to understand that this world is not my home? Amen. That's a pretty good thing to understand as well. Well, whatever it is, our source for hope and a future is in Jesus Christ. He's our hope. Pain is, in one sense, 
somewhat ironically helpful. Biologically speaking, if you start to put your hand near a hot kettle on the stove and you start to sense a little pain there, that's a good thing, right? You know to stay away from that. If there's some other kind of a pain and you realize, "Uh uh-oh, something's not right, your body's trying to tell you something because you need to get to the root cause. Rather than just putting Band-Aids on the outside, you need to get to the root cause on the inside. Cosmically speaking, pain is like that as well. Pain actually is a signal to us that something is not right with the world. And that's a good thing for us to understand. So here's some things that we can do as we start with the right premise. God made the world for our pleasure. It got broken. We're living in the broken part of this world now, but we can still see glimpses of glory in preparation for what he has in store for us in the future. So here's what we can do. Fight through the discouragement by refusing willfully to fear evil. David said that. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is in Psalm 23. Notice the wonders of God, as we see in Psalm 119. It's amazing to me how even after a dark night of the soul, I can get up and see a sunrise, and suddenly things start to have a different perspective. Look at the wonders of God. True story, a guy named Misha. He had started trying to uh, find pleasure in all the wrong places that the world had to offer, and none of them satisfied him. Misha, whose name actually was short, it was his nickname for Misha El, which means who is like God, grew up being forced to go to church. He hated church because of that. And he only went because his parents made him go. He said, you won't eat lunch if you don't go to church with us. So he went because he wanted to eat lunch. He said, but I saw them going through the motions and saying things by rote memorization that didn't seem to mean a lot to me. And I just didn't want anything to do with church. And I got to the point where I didn't even want to believe in God. But he had a dark night of the soul. And one night, as he was so sorrowful, thinking that if this is just a cosmic accident, what's the purpose anyway? And I don't want to live this way any longer. And so he got a pistol and he says, if I'm here by random chance, I'm going to use random chance to see if I should continue on the face of the planet. So he got an old-fashioned 22 revolver, six shot, put one bullet in it, spun the chamber without looking at it, clicked it shut, didn't know where the chamber, uh, if the bullet was lined up with the chamber or not, and then sat there shaking and crying And not knowing what to do next, and he put the gun to his temple, and he pulled the trigger. And all he heard was a click. And he nearly fainted, and his knees went weak, and he realized what he had almost done to himself. And then he started crying some more. And then he sat there on his couch for a while, and he laid down, and he was in such distress emotionally that he did not know what to do. And he said, all I could see was darkness everywhere, and I wanted desperately not to have to go into that darkness. And I thought, what would have happened if that bullet had gone through my brain? I'd be in that darkness right now. I don't want the darkness. And then he cried out, not knowing who to cry out to necessarily, because he didn't believe in a God. He said, but I need help. And in that quiet moment, Misha said, I'm not making this up. It's the only time I've heard it, but I'm not lying. I heard an audible voice in the room that said, Misha. And it shocked me. And I had been lying there for hours and the sun was just getting ready to get up and I thought, I have to go to work. And so I grabbed a quick shower, I got in my car and I started driving to work and I saw the sunrise. And I felt the warmth coming through that windshield and I wanted to thank somebody for the sunrise. Because I realized I have another day of life. Something started to change in Misha. And he wasn't really quite sure what that change was, but he just reached out and said, thank you for the sunrise. 
And then he got to work and he shocked a co-worker who had been kindly but persistently inviting Misha to go to church with him. And he went up to him at his cubicle when he got there and he said, what time does your church start? I think I'm going to come this Sunday. His co-worker just about spilled his coffee. And he said, 11 o'clock, I'll meet you out in the lobby so we can go in and sit together. Misha got there, he got to church, he got there just before the service was supposed to start. He could even hear the praise team starting to make some noise, and he didn't even have time to sit down because they had just stood everybody else up to start singing, and he looked up on the screen, and this is, these are the words that he read. Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. And then they started singing and the congregation started joining in. He didn't know the song, so all he heard were these voices, huge voices, just singing with all their might, singing, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you're holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty, you're holy. And Misha's friend looked over and Misha was just streaming tears down his face. And his friend said, are you okay, buddy? And he said, I'm better than okay. He said, I think I, I understand why I'm supposed to be here today. C.S. Lewis says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How many people have stories that sound similar in some respects to Misha, meaning that it took some serious pain, a rock-bottom experience in their lives before God could speak loudly through the megaphone, through their pain, and get their attention. We can look for the purpose God has for us in our pain because God has a purpose for all of us. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. That's I call that the it takes one to know one verse from Paul the Apostle who had a lot of pain in his life but God used it so he could comfort others. For when we ourselves are comforted we will certainly comfort you then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Who better to walk somebody through a painful ordeal than somebody who's been down that same road? That's what I'm grateful to say Bree Cooley is starting to do and her whole family. They're starting to learn to share their story to comfort others who are going through some things that she had endured a couple of years ago. And she's come through it enough, having been supported by all the members of the body of Christ and many people who are not even a part of this congregation but a part of the capital C church, that now she's able to start to find some purpose in her life. And we have a testimony that we put on tape because she didn't know that she'd be able to get that out in person, although I think you'd have done a fine job. And so let's watch this as we close today. I have six children. Jackson is in college. Um, he is going to school to be a police officer. Zachary is in high school still. He's a junior this year, but he'll be graduating in November. Um, Lacey is a freshman in high school and she is currently dancing with the Dance Alliance here in Celine. And we just came back from a dance competition in Indiana where she took first place. So she's really excited. Um, Connor is a seventh grader this year and he is a lacrosse player. So he plays lacrosse on the weekends and then he plays travel in the summer. So he really enjoys that. And Mia 
um, is I homeschool her. She's in third grade and she is also a dancer and she came with us to the competition and she also took first place. So she's pretty excited about that. So I married my first husband right out of high school. Um, we met in high school. Um, we had three kids, Jackson, Zachary, and Lacey. Um, it was a tough marriage and we um, got divorced when Lacey was, uh, she was like nine months old. Um, so that was really hard. Um, but God brought me Josh. In 2016, we had decided that we were done having kids because we're old <laughs> and um, you know it was just time to move on to the next phase of our life and then we found out that we were expecting and we were shocked but we were excited and we had an ultrasound at 20 weeks and everything seemed good the doctor was it didn't show any signs that anything was wrong um, it was two days before Thanksgiving we went home and um, we thought everything was good and then I got a call the next morning that we needed to come in because there was something wrong. We went in and that's when they told us that Tyler hadn't developed any kidneys and that he wasn't producing any amniotic fluid and therefore his lungs wouldn't develop and so he would likely die before birth and um, that we should terminate the pregnancy. We're in the doctor's office listening to this. I mean, obviously it was a shock, um, but we knew right away that we would not terminate the pregnancy. I mean, I didn't. We didn't even have to talk about it. We just knew. We both said, "No, that's not an option. We want to give our son a chance of, you know, at life, no matter how short the life was." Um, and I wasn't ready to give up. I, with my nursing background, I knew that I was going to search for treatment options. That there had to be something that they could do and we would drive four and a half hours one way every week on Mondays and I would go and have these infusions they were really painful they would stick a needle through and then infuse the fluid um, and then we would drive home and I would have to rest for the rest of the week and then we would go and do it again and I did that until let's see we started that when I was 20 weeks um, and we did that until 30 weeks when my water broke at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, and so we drove all the way to Cincinnati at 3 o'clock in the morning and they admitted me for the remainder of my pregnancy. So the spiritual aspect, I was, um, of course, angry. I was questioning why something like this would have to happen. Um, but especially my time in the hospital, I just had a lot of really deeply spiritual moments with God when I was by myself in my hospital bed, missing my family, um, scared, um, alone, and he was just with me the whole time. There were so many times when I could just feel a warmth and a light. And when it was time for my C-section, I had been in the hospital for five weeks. So I had been down there for five weeks um, by myself on complete bed rest. I couldn't get up, only to go to the bathroom. Um, and they decided that I needed an emergency C-section because Tyler's heart rate was just way too low. Um, and I was terrified. 
I knew that Josh wouldn't get there in time because it was a four and a half hour drive. So I knew I was going to have to go through this surgery by myself. Um, and it was amazing. I just felt God the whole time. I wasn't scared. It was peaceful even. Um, and he allowed me to hear Tyler's cry. I was the only one that got to hear his cry. When I think about suffering and the suffering that my family went through with Tyler and his birth, um, I'm not angry, I'm not upset. Uh, I think it's just part of sin and death. It's part of living in a broken world. Um, but I know that God loves me. I know that for sure. I know that he loves Tyler. And I know that he was put here for a purpose, that he helped people. I received hundreds of messages from people I don't even know that um, his story touched their lives. And so if one person was saved from his story, I'm okay with that. And I know that God put him here for a purpose. I'm so grateful for Bree and her family allowing us to show that story for you. Some of you walked very closely with that family through that ordeal, and it took a long time to get to the point when she was able, able to even share that story like that. I'd like you to bow your heads and let me talk you through a couple of things that I'd like to pray about as we close today. First of all, if you personally happen to be going through a painful season of your life right now, I just want you to know there are people who would love to come right up alongside you and put their arms around you and weep with you and pray for you and walk you through this season. You're not alone. God loved us enough to come all the way down to where we are so that he could walk with us through Jesus Christ and show us what kind of a God he really is, a God who cares about us. Even Jesus, who had all the power in the world to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he wept out of empathy for Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. God knows the pain you're in if you're in a painful situation, and he's weeping with you. Reach out to him. Secondly, if you're somebody who knows somebody who is experiencing a trial right now, would you pray for God to just help you identify the greatest need in their life so that you can be an agent of grace for that person? Because God uses all of us in the body of Christ to help show people what God is like. And we can do it so practically, some, sometimes without words, but whatever we can do, would you be a grace agent and help somebody through their time of grief or pain or suffering? God, we give this time to you. We thank you for the fact that we know that you came to give us a way back to you. You gave us a way to be reconciled with you so that you can complete the work that you have in mind of recreating everything the way it was supposed to be in the first place. For all who are believers, we get to be with you on earth that's going to be remade into its original glory. No more evil, no more pain, no more crying. It's going to be perfect. 
And so we have that hope to look forward to. Between now and then, as we live in this fallen world, I pray that you'll give us little glimpses as we fight through our discouragement, as we look for God's wonders, as we worship together to remind ourselves that you really are in control and you are sovereign. Help us to be grace agents in the world so that people can see more clearly through our actions and sometimes through our words if necessary so they can see Jesus Christ clearly and understand that that's how much God loves us, enough to die in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name.